Turning in your Bibles tonight to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we can trust your word. We ask tonight that as we gather with you in this place, that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would take and show us the unsearchable riches of Christ, that our hearts might be encouraged and strengthened and convicted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we want to try to finish our study of this second chapter of Galatians. Uh, Wednesday night we began looking at Paul's rebuke of Peter for his hypocrisy in eating and fellowshipping with these Gentile believers at Antioch until these Jews of the circumcision came. These Jews to whom I believe a concession was made at this conference in Jerusalem that we've been uh, reading and talking about. And when they came, Peter, because he feared offending them, withdraws and separates himself from the Gentiles. He compromises what he knows to be the truth. And we see that in Paul's words in verse 15. Notice the first word of verse 15. It's the word we. He's addressing Peter and he says we. And Paul uses that pronoun because he's referring to Peter and himself. Peter, we are Jews by nature. We're Jews by birth. We aren't sinners of the Gentiles. He's not saying that they aren't sinners. He's just saying we aren't part, uh, haven't been part of the heathen, of the nations of the world. And in the light of that, in verse 16, Paul reminds Peter of what they both know and what they both believe. That a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Peter compromises what he knows and what he believes and pleases men rather than God. And these other Jews followed Peter, and so did Barnabas. Wednesday night we mentioned Proverbs 29 and verse 25 that says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. And Peter's fear of these of the circumcision who were given place to at the council at Jerusalem, Peter gives place to them here. And it brought a snare to him and to these other Jews and to Barnabas. And it caught these Gentile believers here in Antioch in a snare of confusion that brought up this question again in their minds. Is it necessary to keep the law in order to be saved? This is why Paul says in verse 14, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, that word uprightly means to walk in a straight course. And the Lord tells us what it means to walk in a straight course. 
He tells us in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 32, Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And we read that definition of walking in a straight course again in Deuteronomy 17.11 and 17.20 and Deuteronomy 28.14, Joshua 1.7 and Joshua 23 and verse 6. The Lord is very clear that he wants his people walking uprightly in a straight course, not turning to the right hand or to the left. Peter and these other Jews and Barnabas were not walking in a straight course. They appeared to be walking on both sides of this issue. Were they turning to the right hand or to the left? Yes. Being for grace at the same time, appearing to be for the works of the law. This is what moves Paul to withstand Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. And Paul's words to Peter begin here in the middle of verse 14, and it would seem that they go through verse 21, actually the end of this chapter. And so his words to Peter would include the verse that we are so familiar with and that we know so well and that we want to think about tonight. And that is verse 20, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Those are such critical words. We want to think about them tonight. What they mean. How they apply to our life. I believe Paul explains what they mean in Romans chapter 6. I'd like for you to keep your finger here so that we can refer back to verse 20 as we need to. And turn to Romans chapter 6. And the verse that we want to to read is verse 6. This is a red star verse. Uh, And I say that because I've got a big red star by it in my Bible. But it's a red star verse in living the Christian life. And we're early in 2023, and in some of our messages we've been talking about um, and thinking about how we're going to live in 2023 as believers. This verse is the explanation of Galatians 2.20. This says, I am crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 tells us what that means. Knowing this, that our old man, our old man, this old nature, that's who our old man 
is. This old man with, with which we're born. This old man that is enmity against God. This old man that hates and is hostile and opposes God at every turn. This old man that is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This old man that fears not God. This is the old man that Paul is talking about. And he tells us here, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Christ. This is one aspect of what it means when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. When we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, God sees this old man crucified with Christ. That's what he says. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. He sees this old man as dead. Nevertheless, we live. We're alive. And we live. We're alive because now Christ is our life. We have the life of Christ. And God sees us in Christ, alive unto God, alive unto him through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. If you want to flip back and look at it, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is our standing this is our position in Christ. Now look at these next words in, in Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Paul is now going to talk about our state in the world. And in thinking about that, we want to notice this word flesh. And we want to think of it in two ways. First, this word flesh uh, refers to this human body that we live in. We live and we move in the world in this body of flesh. But this word flesh, and I believe that this is the context, I believe it's the primary meaning. This word flesh refers to this old nature. We still have this old man after we are saved. The word flesh is another term for the old man. Paul said in Romans 7 and verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in this old man dwelleth no good thing. Now when he uses flesh there, he isn't talking about the flesh of this body because there are hundreds of thousands of good things in this human body. Because it is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. So he's not talking about this, this flesh. What Paul is talking about is this old man. Walk in the spirit. We're going to read in Galatians 5 and verse 16 when we get there. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of this old man. And the best definition of the flesh is probably 
where what we uh, read in Romans 6 and verse 6, if you want to flip back and look at it, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, notice these words, that the body of sin, the body of sin, that's the definition of this flesh, this definition of the old man. Look back at Galatians 2.20. So Paul says, And the life which I now live in the flesh, the life that I now live in this human body, I'm going to live every moment of every day with this flesh, this old man, this body of sin. It's with me. It's with me every moment of every day. So how's this going to work in our life? How's this going to work when there is this constant battle that is taking place every moment of every day? The flesh, the old man warring against the spirit, warring against the life of Christ, and the spirit warring against the flesh. How's that going to work in our lives? Well, it's right here in Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not on my faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And what is the faith of the Son of God? What has he accomplished? What's the provision that he's made for us to live the life that we now live in the flesh? We'll look back at Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin For he that is dead is freed from sin. This is the faith of the Son of God. It's an accomplished fact in the mind of God. It's an accomplished fact that the old man is crucified with him. We're in Christ. And God sees this old man as dead. And so we are to reckon. We see that word here in verse 11. We are to reckon, we are to believe, we are by the faith of the Son of God, what he has accomplished, do what we read beginning in verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Believe what God says is true. Live in the light of what he says is true. He says that the old man is crucified with him, The old man is dead as he sees the old man. So live in the light of that. Live like you believe it. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness 
unto God. Now, there's some words here that we need to see that are very important. The word might in verse 6, that the body of sin, this old man, the flesh that lives within us here in the world, might be destroyed. That word might tells us that it's not automatic. It's, it's how God sees the old man. But we have to see the old man that same way. And that requires an act of our will to choose to put this old man to death, to put this old man in the place of death. That's what we see in the word let in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It's not automatic. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. It's what we see in the word yield in verse uh, 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is how we're to live. Now, how are we going to make, how are we going to accomplish these things? How are we going to make the destruction of the old man a reality in our life? How are we going to let not sin reign in our mortal body? How are we going to keep from yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin when this old nature, that's all it wants to do? And instead, yield ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Well, verse 11 tells us, by reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But how do we do that? What's this word reckon really mean? How do we get our arms around it? I guess that's what, um, in a very poor and pitiful way, that this message is, is about tonight. To get our arms around that in a way that it will manifest itself practically in our life. The Apostle Paul tells us how. Look at Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So how did Paul reckon on Romans 6 and verse 6? Galatians 2.20. That's how he reckoned on it. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. I'm reckoning. God tells me, Paul says, that the old man is crucified with him. That's how he sees me. So how am I going to live in the world? I, that's how I'm going to live in the world. Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. This is how Paul, this is how we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And just so we don't miss it, the Lord gives us a real life example of what it means to be crucified with Christ. 
I don't know how to do it. I'm not spiritual enough to do it. But I believe that every doctrine that we find in the New Testament, I believe we find it illustrated in the Old Testament. We just had the spiritual eyes to see it. We want to look at a real-life example of what it means to be crucified with Christ. Turn back to Genesis chapter 22, if you will. Genesis chapter 22. Here in this chapter, we have the offering of Isaac by Abraham. We have Abraham offering his only begotten son on Mount Moriah. And the message here is of the time, 1900 years in the future, when God the Father will sacrifice his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same mountain, Calvary, Mount Moriah. All the elements of the cross are here in Genesis 22. In verse 6, we read, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it Upon his son. One of the things that, if you have Pastor Kelly's little book on Bible symbols, one of the things that wood symbolizes is sinful humanity. And Abraham taking the wood of the burnt offering and laying it upon his son is exactly what God the Father did at Calvary. Isaiah chapter 53 The Lord hath laid on him. The iniquity of us all. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In verse 6 we see Abraham taking the fire in his hand. Fire speaks to us of supernatural judgment. The eternal supernatural judgment that God poured out on his only begotten son in those three hours of darkness on the cross. We also see in verse 6 that not only did Abraham take the fire, but he took a knife. And in verse 9, Abraham builds the altar. And he lays the wood in order. And Isaac is bound by his father and laid on the altar upon the wood. And Isaac laying there upon the wood speaks to us of how the Lord Jesus was completely identified with our wood. How he was completely identified with our sinful humanity. He was made sin for us. He died as us. Isaac is obedient unto death, as we see it here. Just as the Lord Jesus was obedient unto death, even 
the death of the cross. Abraham, as we look at verse 10, he stretches forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham spares not his own son. He stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay him. Just as God the Father spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Nobody stayed the hand of God in dealing with his own son on the cross of Calvary. So we have all of these pictures of the cross of Calvary and the work that the Lord Jesus accomplished there for you and for me. But what I want us to see here is Romans 6.6 6 and Galatians 2.20. They're pictured here. What we've come here to see is what it means to be crucified with Christ. Look at uh, verse 10. Of Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, or, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, I want you to notice something here in the language. Notice that we are not told that Abraham unbound his son Isaac and removed him from the altar. Now he did. We see that in the words in verse 13, in the stead of his son. But I believe there's a reason that detail is left out. A message in that detail not being spelled out. Think about the picture that is being painted by the omission of telling us that Abraham doesn't unbind Isaac and remove him from the altar. The picture, the thought that is concealed here is revealed in Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's how God sees us. And it's how Abraham saw Isaac. Look at verse 19. So Abraham returned. Abraham returned unto his young men. No mention of Isaac returning. Abraham saw Isaac there in the place of death. 
Just as God sees us, sees our old man in the place of death, and that's where God leaves our old man, just as the language here suggests Abraham did of Isaac. But there's another picture suggested by the omission of telling us that Abraham does not unbind Isaac and remove him from the altar. And that is that Isaac is sacrificed with this ram. This ram that pictures to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the the, the concealed message here is the revealed message of Galatians 2.20. Isaac is crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives. And how's he going to live? Well, we're never told that Isaac comes off the altar. Of course he did. He lives in chapter 24 when he takes a wife and, and on from there. But we're never told that Isaac comes off the altar and the concealed message in that is the message of Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6. That Isaac is going to live the life that he now lives in the flesh. He's going to live by reckoning himself to be crucified with Christ. Dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we're saved tonight, this is how we're to live the Christian life in 2023. Every moment of every day, crucified with Christ, reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if that is our desire, and when that is a reality in our life, then we're going to face a battle. We're going to face a a serious battle. And it's exactly the same battle that the Lord Jesus Christ faced. I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 27, if you will. Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 37. Matthew chapter 27. And verse 37, we're reading about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Look at verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. 
Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe it. Verse 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now notice the people that we have here. We have those that pass by that wag their heads. The head waggers, the revilers, the blasphemers, the maligners and the slanderers. That's who those that pass by were. Then we have the chief priest with the scribes and elders, the mockers, the unbelievers, the doubters, the skeptics. And then we have the thieves. The robbers, the plunderers, the pilferers. Now, who are these people? Who are these people? Well, they're you and me by nature. Every one of these people is an example of our old man. We are the headwaggers. No, no. We will not have this man to reign over us. We're the revilers and the blasphemers, the maligners, the slanderers. We're the mockers. We're the unbelievers, the doubters, the skeptics. We're the thieves. The Lord Jesus said, All that ever came before me were thieves. We're the robbers. This is what we are by nature. This is our old man. And I want you to notice the singular message that every one of these groups have because it is the singular message of our old man to us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Verse 40. Come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. Verse 42. Let him now come down from the cross. Verse 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. They said the same thing. Come down from the cross. This is what our own nature, our old man says to us. Stop. Being crucified with Christ. Why? So that I can live. So that I can come out of the place of death. So that you can go on your way and live your life. And do your own will. Just take the cross out of your life. Come down from the cross. Stop being crucified with Christ and everything will be fine. This is the battle of the Christian life. If we're willing to enter into it. And we enter into it by letting this mind, the mind of Christ that's in us, if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we have the mind of Christ. And so we enter into this battle when we let the mind of Christ that is in us control us. 
We enter into this battle by not yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yielding ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. We enter into this battle by being crucified with Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. We know the Lord tonight. Are we willing to enter into that battle? Every moment of every day of this new year. You ever think about spiritual warfare in our minds? It's constant. It's every moment of every day. Are we willing to enter into that battle? If you're lost tonight, you don't want the cross either. You don't want the cross Our old man in the lives of the people of God is saying, come down from the cross. If you're lost, you don't want the cross either. You want Christ, but not the cross. But Christ without the cross is religion. It's religion. Religion won't save you. Christ with the cross. That's salvation. Vance Havner had an interesting thought about these verses that we've read. He says that the world says exactly what these people said. Lost people say exactly what these people said. Come down from the cross. Give us Christ without the cross. Because it's the cross that the world despises. It's the reproach and scandal of the cross that the world will not accept. Save thyself, they shouted. But that was exactly what the Lord Jesus could not do if he would save others. If he had come down, there would be no savior and no gospel. None. Men will accept Christ as teacher and example, but not as the bearer of their sins in his own body on the tree. Men will accept Christ as the paragon, someone of exceptional merit, who is a model and an example of excellence. Men will accept Christ as the paragon, but they will not accept him as the propitiation, the substitutionary sacrifice of their sins. What do you have tonight? Religion or salvation? Who do you have tonight? The paragon or the propitiator? the substitutionary sacrifice for your sin. You can have salvation tonight. You can have the propitiator. If you're willing to humble your heart and turn to the Lord Jesus from your sin and trust him to be your Savior. Father, we thank you for the time that we have tonight to look into your word. We pray that you would 
take these words and make a message out of them. We pray that if we know you as our Savior, that there will be a desire in our hearts to enter into this battle this year. To be crucified with Christ. To reckon what is already true in your mind, that the old man is dead. And he that is dead is freed from sin. Help us to reckon upon that every day, every moment of every day. And we pray that if there are any here who are lost, that they would understand that they need the Christ of the cross. That there's salvation in no other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.